You're listening to Around Comics. listening to around comics episode 448 is that right 448 i think that's right all right i'm right you're christopher neesman this is around comics it's thursday night we're live on youtube and facebook and twitch and twitter and all those spaces and tonight we are talking about martial law the comic book i am the law i am the law no that's the terrible oh that's the other guy that's the other guy sylvester stallone yeah, uh, no, it's Martial Law by Pat Mills and Kevin O'Neill, first published by Epic Comics in 1987. The series is known for its dark humor, over-the-top violence, and it's a reverent take on the superhero genre. Uh, this was my Trade Talks pick, and uh, I'm really excited to see what you and Tom, whenever Tom shows up, uh, have to here. say about it. He'll be here. Tom's, He's dealing with Tom's dealing, He's dealing with the children's. Yeah, his last text was uh, running late. Everyone's crying. That's being a, <laughs> sort of a single dad tonight. So he's dealing with his children. Everyone's crying. Yeah, I know. I know how that goes. I've been there. But what's up, man? How you doing? I am. Um, I'm. I'm really angry about this. Um, I had a huge blind spot in my my comic book uh reading history and this is this is a book that like 16 17 year old chris would have just poured over these pages and it was a blind spot for me and i'm reading this and i'm just like holy shit this is so good now this Mm -hmm. would have been amazing in 1987 1988 it was just it was it was probably a little too subversive for my fragile being in 1987. Well, you were, where were you at in 1987? Were you in Southern Illinois? Well, yeah, uh, I would have been, I would have been in Marion. I would have been in eighth grade, probably going into high school. Um, mm. I was 88 to 91. Yeah. I mean, that would have been a tough thing for you to even find at that time. Yeah. I think like I was, so eight, 87, I was six, I was 16. Well, I went to, a, so, you know, Carbondale was a college town. And so there was, I mean, it was, it, it wasn't like a lot of like rural areas. There was a, a SIU Carbondale is there. So it was a big university town and it was a, it was a pretty cool comic shop. And I know that they had a lot of indie comics that I just, as a 16 year old, you know, redneck, I wasn't, I wasn't looking for that. You know, DKR was probably about as far as I went into, into, you know, anything like off of the mainstream at that point. And that's a Batman story, right? Right. Right. Yeah. No, I didn't, I didn't mean that as much as, uh, mm-hmm. although, you know, it was an Epic book when it came mm-hmm. out, which is interesting. And there's a interesting story about that, that I, I watched an interview with Pat Mills talking about sort of the creation of this and how it came to fruition and and uh it's interesting how it sort of happened but um no i just meant like yeah at eight years old 
uh, or no, you did. Yeah, no, it was like, grade. yeah, well, yeah, well, eighth grade. I was, you know, fifth, you know, fourteen, fifteen, yeah. fourteen, probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Your, was... your parents would not have approved. I know. I so I was, <laughs> I was sixteen, and I remember picking this up on the stands, um, and it was something that. You know, I was at that period in my life of reading comics where I was starting to kind of like, eh, not get, you know, not with millions of other mm-hmm. comic book readers at that same time period where it was like I was going away from the mainstream comic stuff. I was looking more at ind- independent comics, looking more for the first time, like being exposed to British comic book creators and British comics and and black and white comics and that kind of stuff, you know, because I certainly grew up. Marvel DC, you know, that was all I really you were read. coming. You were coming out of your John Byrne phase and I was still <laughs> yeah. like knee yeah. deep into yeah. it. Right. You know, I was buying yeah. at that point, I was buying back issues of, of uncanny X-Men trying to, you know, get that full burn Claremont run. And then I actually kind of warmed to Dave Cockrum who I didn't really love to begin with. And so, you know, for Kevin O'Neill, for me to have looked at this, you know, in 1987, I would have been like, that doesn't look like John Byrne. <laughs> no it does not it certainly does not um yeah i i mean i think initially i was probably just attracted to sort of like the cover and the idea of it and uh you know the the <laughs> hyper violence of it not really suspecting what was you know the subversiveness and the political messages and all that other stuff and i don't oh. even think I didn't get half of that stuff when I read it the first time. Like I didn't understand most of it. Uh, You know, I probably picked up stuff this last time reading it again in my fifties. And I was like, Oh, he's talking about world war two here, or he's talking about, you know, like just different things that are in the book, um, which is fascinating. Military military industrial complex. And yeah, 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 absolutely. And uh, so it's interesting to sort of like, go back and see how ahead of its time it really was and unfortunately sort of like how topical it still is that's what that's what's (laughs) scary about it is i'm reading it now and i'm just like holy shit this is relevant this is relevant now we're you know it's it's uh you know the whole cult of personality and um how you know the government you know, lying to protect you. And, and, you know, it's, I, I, I don't want to get too deep before, before Tom jumps in with us. Uh, once he gets his, his children, you know, in the box. Silence. So, <laughs> um, we'll, we'll talk a lot about Pat Mills and the story, but, um, you know, I was introduced to Kevin O'Neill in uh, league of extraordinary gentlemen was, you know, I had probably seen like a Green Lantern comic or something, you know, before that. But uh, that's really where I fell in love with Kevin O'Neill is probably, you know, a lot of a lot of people did. And he was such the perfect artist for this because so much of that subversive messaging is is in the background of of his art. And that he is so that's what made League so amazing is all of the little stuff that was that was put into the backgrounds that that just kind of creates that world and and this you know the signage and the the different little you know messages that are scrawled on walls and that kind of stuff just really paints the picture of this you know really crappy place that they exist in well, it's interesting, and that goes back to what I was saying earlier. That I so I had listened to an interview with Pat Mills talking about it, and, and 
you know, he said uh, essentially how the, you know, it sort of came about was that um, Archie Goodwin and, mm-hmm. you know, was working and the great Archie Goodwin, he, yeah. the great Archer Goodwin. And he was, he was heading up the Epic comics, you know, mm-hmm. uh, import or whatever you, you will. And they were talking to Kevin O'Neill and they wanted him to draw something for Epic. Uh, and, but Kevin, didn't really, you know, for whatever reason, he didn't really vibe with some of the writers or, or American writers. So yeah. he brought, he actually brought Pat Mills in on the project. And, and this is, and this is, what year is this? This would have been like probably 85, 86, something like that. So, so we're uh, like probably 86, like 14, 15 years after Pat Mills basically created 2000 AD. We'll be back after a quick break. Do you ever wish you could sit in on a conversation with some of your favorite authors and listen to them talk about their writing process, their path to publication, and of course, their newest novels? Hi, I'm Marissa Meyer, best-selling author of The Lunar Chronicles, and I would love for you to check out the Happy Writer podcast, where every week I talk with other writers about books, craft, inspiration, and how to bring a little more joy into our lives. The Happy Writer is available wherever you get your podcasts or find us on Instagram at Happy Writer Podcast. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. Yeah, because he had, yeah, he had created 2000 AD. He had been written, but they just, I mean, it was just a different world where you didn't have, you know, the British invasion kind of had just started. You know yeah. what I mean? And so in comics, I should say. And, and so you didn't have that you didn't have a lot of those British writers coming over to the U S and having success. Um, and even still to this day, I don't, you know, I don't know that Kevin O'Neill and Pat Mills outside of martial law and a few other things have had a ton of American success for whatever reason. But, um, but, but yeah, so, so he was saying though, that, so he pitched the story and, and initially martial law was, uh, the, the name of the book and the character design was O'Neill. So he mm-hmm. had already had the name of the book. It's good. We're going to call it martial law. This is the character. And then Pat sort of, you know, quickly put together a premise to pitch to Archie and to Epic of like a kind of, he said it was kind of a straightforward, um, almost like a cop book, like a, you know, mm-hmm. almost like, it was like a, like a murder mystery kind of cop book, crime book um, was initially what I was thinking. And then, once it got approved, and, you know, and Archie yeah. kind of approved that, and he was like, "Okay, yeah, that that sounds good." Yeah. Well, then, well, then know, they went. What, back- what, what Watchmen had come out, and that was kind of a whodunit, weird, you know, superhero. Yeah, sure, so sure. There was probably right. they were probably saying, "Oh yeah, there's appetite for that, right?" Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. And then, you know, but then you know, Pat talks about like, you know, then I started to think about it, and it was like, well you know, this is a superhero book to, or this is, this is going, I want this to reach people that would reach, that would read Marvel comics. Like he was looking at it, like, I'm not going to try and write a book that's going to be released by Marvel by Epic, but it's only going to kind of like gear towards like an art house crowd or, or people, you know, that already like my work. He's like, how do I kind of get this to have a broader audience? Well, he wanted sixteen-year-old Brian Salazar. That's right, exactly. He did, <laughs> and so that's when he had the idea of like, okay, well, what if he's a he's a cop, but he's a cop for 
superheroes. And, you know, he kind of, he talks about like, he kind of despised superheroes. He, he kind of hated superheroes and, and, and not necessarily like, you know, the sixties, you know, fifties and sixties or like the classic stuff, but like the stuff that was coming out in the eighties, you know, that the, the extreme superhero stuff, he just yeah. fucking hated all that shit. So he's like, okay, we're going to make him a superhero killer, a Cape killer. And that's where that idea came from. But then like you were talking about like the graffiti and the world and all that. Once he sort of pitched that to uh, Kevin O'Neill, Kevin O'Neill just went off and he's like, well, let's do this and this and this. And he, he said he really created the, the world that martial law lived in and yeah. like all the graffiti and the, the signs and all that stuff. And he's like, that was all Kevin O'Neill. Like, the, 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 the sayings on the t-shirts and yeah, all that yeah. stuff. Nuke, nuke, nuke me slowly, you know? Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, it was really fascinating to listen to him talk about like, you know, this true collaboration on the book, because it is so much of it is the visual look of it and, and like the world that they live in and, and, and that kind of thing. And, and it does like, I think it borders on, not it doesn't border it certainly goes over like into a ridiculousness i mean there's oh, yeah. there's so much ridiculous but there's also this weird like it's grounded in this sort of weird dirty satire world like that we can yeah. kind of see you know what i mean yeah. like you can kind of see well, that I mean, that was that was 2000 world. ad right what mega city yeah. right you know that was so this is i mean it's not revolutionary for Pat Mills, I think he was taking a lot of the ideas and concepts that were in Judge Dredd in 2000 AD and kind of reworking them for an American audience a little bit more, right? Yeah, you know, and this is what I started to think about, like, you know, you think about all the comic book creators, the British comic book creators, right? Like, almost all of them that have been successful have this sort of like anarchist sensibility to them. This sort of, you know, <laughs> I mean, it makes sense. Like in the eighties, the punk rock sort of do it yourself. Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. But you know, the funny thing is, and I love that. I mean, you, you know, you know me, you've known me for, you know, mm -hmm. forever now. And it's like, I love that attitude. Like I have a very anti-authoritative rebellious nature in me. And so I've, you know, I vibe with that, that sort of attitude. I, 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 I don't think there's enough of that in the world today, really, but you know, those guys were, were something that I certainly connected with. But the thing that's really interesting to me is like, I look at it where most of the time the, the outcome of that or their, or their, their target is generally the US. Mm -hmm. Even though like you look at like 80s England and Margaret Thatcher and it's like yeah. you live in one of the most fucking like fascist sort of states on the planet. I mean, you, you know what I mean? I mean if but, you're looking the UK in general, what was going on in, in Northern yeah. Ireland at that point with the IRA and the troubles. And I mean, they had plenty of fucked up shit going on in England and the UK. But it's always interesting to me, like these, this mm -hmm. sort of like anarchist attitude is always sort of directed at 
you know, in comics, it's like directed at superhero comics or directed at you, you know, mm -hmm. Western comics, the, in the United States or the U S government and that kind of thing. And it's like, it, it just kind of struck me as interesting in that way yeah. of like, when the fuck are you going to point your finger at, you know, how come you assholes aren't pointing your finger at your own goddamn yeah. government? Well, it's you always know, easier to, you know, point the finger at right. else. And, uh, and we are bastards. Well, sure. But are we any more <laughs> bastards than the British? No, really? No, I mean, no, not in no, histories, no, not in no. the history of the world. We're not even, well, close. Not even close. We haven't even, even close. We haven't come close to the shit that they've fucking done. Yeah. Well, yeah. Not. Well, yeah. 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 Dis distant. <laughs> di right? Distant second or third. <laughs> hey, there he is. There's hey. Cool. How's it going? You got those. You tied those children up and put them in a closet finally? <laughs> They're still awake. Everyone's just up. <laughs> You look exhausted, Tom. Yeah. Hey. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to uh, martial law. Uh, it sounds yeah, like you needed yeah. a little, a little uh, tender love and yeah, and, uh, exactly. Love and understanding. Yeah, yeah, love and love and hatred. Yeah. Uh, we were just kind of talking about the origin of martial law a bit, and uh, I was talking about Pat Mills and and Kevin O'Neill and how they kind of. Uh, maybe pulled a fast one a little bit on Archie Goodwin with uh, the initial pitch of martial law was going to be sort of more of a straight crime comic. Um, mm -hmm. And then it turned into this like satire about uh, superheroes and, and, and authority and, you know, all sorts of different political things that, you know, that it, it is today uh, that maybe Archie wasn't quite, expecting yeah. <laughs> initially you could do you could do weird shit at, at epic right that's where uh what uh electro assassin was epic yeah yeah there were there yeah. were some yeah no i don't think yeah i think well and, and he talked about it and as everyone does pat mills talked about like the reverence that he had for archie mm -hmm. because what archie did was he protected his creative people from mm -hmm. the blowback from that kind of stuff you know that if there were complaints if there were you know people above them that were sort of you know fighting about it it didn't it rarely ever reached the creatives and that's why people loved to work for archie and with archie have, have you ever heard anyone say anything but glowing uh remembrances of archie goodwin i mean we, we had way back when whenever we talked to john byrne it was like who did you love to work with things like archie goodwin was Arch, yeah was everybody. the best mm. beloved sure. but uh beloved the beloved archie beloved goodwin. archie goodwin yeah beloved uh but so for those that maybe have never read the book before i, I you know I, we can give you just i want to give just a, a brief sort of synopsis maybe mm -hmm. of it and then really like i said i'm really interested in what you guys have to say about this book because i could talk about it forever but um i was because neither of you have read it before and i've read it multiple times but so i'm really excited to see what you guys think about it but um so for those of that have not read it yeah it, it is a book written by pat mills art by kevin o'neill uh it came out in 1987 from epic comics the marvel uh imprint um and it's a story ah, of a guy nope. Uh, what are you doing? Sorry. It's a story of a um, an ex uh, superhero, or at least a super powered soldier, who is now a government sanctioned uh, police officer whose job is to rein in rogue superheroes. Because now, 
um, after this, uh, you know, uh, genetic engineering, like superheroes are everywhere. People have powers. Almost everyone has powers, it seems like. Uh, and there's a lot of these um, ex-soldiers who got superpowers to go fight in a war and now they're home and they really don't know how to deal with the fact that they have these superpowers and, um, and aren't in a war any longer. Mm -hmm. Uh, and so they do all sorts of crazy bad shit. And it's, uh, it's this crazy world that is also, um, is set in, uh, the fictional city of San Futuro. 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 After like the big uh, earthquake that eventually is going to take out California, it, it happened in this world, and and now they're living in this in this apocalyptic sort of city. Uh, but martial law, um, there's uh, he he's tasked with finding a killer. Someone is running around. A, a cape is running around. The sleep uh, the sleeper man, sleep man. Uh, is running. Man, he's running around killing women that are dressed like Celeste, the superhero, uh, you know, the female Wonder Woman of this world, basically. Yeah. And all the heroes are essentially like thinly veiled copies of Marvel mm -hmm. and DC superheroes. So it's a lot of satire and and that kind of thing. And martial law eventually thinks that the uh, the number one superhero in the world, uh, um, this the public spirit is actually the killer in disguise but i don't want to spoil anything for anyone but yeah he so he's trying to expose that guy uh for his wrongdoings and and the story goes from there so yeah that's just a brief it's, sort of synopsis he's got to get homelander yeah you know that's the funny thing because <laughs> i reading it again this time around I'm like man i you cannot i cannot imagine that uh um that book was not inspired in some ways by oh you know martial garth law. ennis was reading martial law you know for garth sure ennis right like there's martial yeah law. yeah so it's interesting and i'd like to at some point i'd love to talk about if they ever made a martial law tv show who would we think <laughs> would be cast who, who would be cast as as those characters but anyway i yeah. so what did you guys think about about martial law your first i was gonna here? say i was gonna say I don't know if you could do a TV show of it and it'd be quite the same way if it's like the Kevin O'Neill art is such a element of like why it kind of works, you know, because, mm -hmm. you know, when we talked about League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, you know, like his style kind of like doesn't sit neatly in any particular thing. Like sometimes it's like kind of it's it leaves you like kind of like what kind of story is this all the time because you're not quite sure how funny it's supposed to be or how horrifying how horrifying it's supposed to be and like it's always like a little funnier than what you think the scene should be or it's a little scarier than you think like in a good way where it's sort of like you're not quite able to like hone in on exactly like what's happening in it at any point which is i think what kind of makes it work is like yeah. it kind of is bouncing around between all of these things that like it, it it does this weird oscillation between like murder mystery and war comic and political satire and yeah it's 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 bouncing around from all social of those commentary and it's a lot no, but, and i also it borders on the edge also of like it could easily become uh ridiculously you know funny it is mm -hmm. funny at times, but it could it could really tip over into sort of like silliness. 
um, or just so ridiculous you don't take it serious at all. But I think it it's balanced really well by like, you know, the 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 grittiness and the serious at times very serious sort of commentary on things that mm. it that it has. Yeah. I mean, there's a guy whose like superpower is that he has a tail. <laughs> well, he's almost a superhero. He's, he, he's, he didn't yeah, well, almost a superhero. He, he's almost it's, it's sort of like you could you um, if you imagined like this story drawn by somebody who kind of doesn't straddle all those things quite the same way it wouldn't quite work you know it'd be too serious it would be too serious it would be too like silly or yeah yeah it just wouldn't quite like land the way it does like with him you know as one of the, the the creators of it is like it keeps you sort of unsettled in exactly what it is. I mean, there's like moments where like in the action of it, it isn't a million miles away from what a kid would imagine a fight would look like, you know, like drawing it in a notebook, right? Like there's mo like where he's like kicking the bad guy in the balls or like, you know, like it's sort of like, you know, obviously the craftsmanship is of a higher level, but like the spirit of it isn't a million miles away from like that sort of like fantasy no you're or like level absolutely right because i know you know there's parts of you know obviously kevin o'neill is extremely talented artist but there are parts of it that look very Mm -hmm. i I don't want to say amateurish yeah but almost out of place like purposefully wrong you know what i mean like uh, there's there's times where like he'll he'll put a person in a pose that like anatomically doesn't work or or it looks like someone who doesn't know how to draw would draw it like a kid like you you know like you said like it yeah. looks like a kid's drawing in some ways and it's like well it's kevin o'neill i know it, yeah if he wanted it he wanted it to look like that it's doing reason, he's you know. doing it purposefully yeah we, yeah we, before yeah. before we started recording tonight uh we were talking about jim rugg who i think is another artist who is very adept at doing that because jim rugg can draw in any style that you ever want but he will you know like intentionally do things that that border on amateurish or you know like the kid who drew with the ballpoint pen in the notebook um right and, and grew up that's you know and kevin o'neill was doing that way before jim rugg was right yeah i think it's just it is fascinating because i i love his art um mm-hmm. but there's times when you look at it and it's like I don't know how to describe it. Like, I don't even really know how, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's so yeah. different than most everything else out there. I, do you know, like, is there another Kevin O'Neill type artist? Can you name another artist that's like Kevin O'Neill? I don't know that wow. I can. Hmm. I, you know what I mean? Like, it's so unique to him. I mean, it's interesting, too, because within, like, the the issues you know, it's particularly the action scenes that at times like border on sort of farcical like layout of like and not anatomy and like the action is so mm-hmm. like uh, this is where my hero crushes this guy's head into a wall, you know, like that level of sort of like 
fantasy, right? But then, like, you'll see a page where he's talking to Kiloton, you know, who's also, and like the layout of the page is within Kiloton, who's huge. So there's like these very, like, extremely well crafted and like, um, well put together parts mixed with like these sort of very like farce like mm -hmm. approaches to like violence or how characters look and it's all sort of happening within one story right and it's sort of like oh oh okay you know like when things look when he's not in his costume you know in comparison to like sort of like when he does have his costume on like his costume is ridiculous it's a ludicrous <laughs> costume. It's it like, is amazing. It's amazing in every way. Yeah. yeah, it's it's that in and of itself. You could talk for like forty five minutes about like the costume, right? Like just this ludicrous like leather suit, like S and M S and M. Yeah, just yeah. like go go get the gimp. Yeah, just <laughs> but then. You, but then at, at one point in the book, like there's another character sort of talking about how ridiculous yeah. it, it's uh, his girlfriend doesn't know that yeah. Uh, yeah, it's yeah. Marshall. He's yeah. Lynn doesn't know. And she's writing about his costume. And on one hand, she's making, you know, saying the same, thing, how ridiculous it is. But then she talks about like the barbed wire on his arm. Is that saying something deeper about like his own punishing, punishing himself and, and like, you know, yeah. sort of like, it's, you know, uh, just trying to describe it in, in different ways or looking at it from a different. So it is. And that's like one of the more fascinating things about this book to me is that I'm not even sure. I'm not still at this point. Sure. Exactly what Pat Mills and Kevin O'Neill are trying to say with this book. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. martial law is technically, you know, the hero, right? But he's Maybe. not. Yeah, maybe, but he's not maybe. really always. He's not really presented that way all the time. Yeah, he's certainly not presented as a flawless hero, no. and he's presented as, you know, like his alter ego even questions his morality, and he even makes mm -hmm. jokes about like his own sadistic nature and how much he enjoys, you know, kicking the shit out of these superheroes and. So there's not like a nobleness to what he's doing. It's, you know I, what I mean? I don't like, hate him. Well, maybe I just dislike him. No, I hate him. But you there's know, also, no idea. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but there's also like fundamentally a pointlessness to him. Like the thing mm -hmm. that like mm -hmm. is interesting about like their approach to superheroes is like all the superheroes, you know, like they're in this place, like San, uh, you know, uh, San Futuro, right? Futuro, and it's sort of yeah. like they, they're all over there, right? And there's a bunch of them and they're all surplus. They're surplus superheroes left over from the war. And it's sort of like, sure, we have him to like go and round him up, but it just sort of feels like they've been cordoned off into like their yeah. own place. And it's sort of like whatever happens, happens, you know? And it's like, yeah. so it's like, it's weird because his character has sort of like the gravitas in a funny way of like the Punisher or like one of these characters right. like, I'm going to clean everything up. But really when you look at it, like from a wider distance, it's sort of like, Oh, okay. Like it's kind of meaningless. It's kind it's of meaningless. Futile. Yeah. There's yeah. all these superheroes and like, they're all killing each other and other ones are killing me. And it's like, and they're not, 
in charge of anything. Like, they're not, like, there's some superheroes who are important to the world, but then there's all these surplus ones who, yeah. like, who cares? Gee, you know, like, could, they're just could, a problem. Could, that could it, could it could it be uh, talking about the military-industrial complex and, like, homeless veterans? And, you know, that's, I mean, it's oh, pretty well, easy I to think, draw that line, yeah. right? I think going back to, you know, like, you know, World War Two, you know, all the veterans coming back from World War Two and just being all fucked up and not knowing how to survive in, in sort of like post-war Americana and, you know, and as a country and as a government, you know, healthcare system, having no idea how to care for any of these guys or even what was wrong with them. And that's war after war. And that's been every war since we still are in the same fucking place yeah, with sure. every veteran you know group that has come home after a war is we still don't know how to take care of these guys we still don't know yeah. what to do with them or how to help them or, or and they don't know how yeah. to deal with civilian life and you know and, and and it is this you know constant cycle because of the way yeah. we're just always at war we're just always creating and you just these you super just hope, soldiers you just, you just hope that you know, a few of them don't get the idea to go up into a fucking bell tower with a sniper rifle. Yeah, yeah, you do. Surprisingly, you know? not as many do as. Yeah. But I mean, yeah. but I, but I think that it's even just more of like, you know, the idea that we are, you know, we as a society create this mess in trying to protect our society, and how crazy is that cycle? Like. You know what I mean? Like the idea of, hey, we need to protect the United States, so we're going to create a bunch of super soldiers, but then they're going to come home and create chaos, and now we have to have someone to protect yeah. us from that, so we can go out and create another super bunch of super soldiers, mm -hmm. so we can protect this crazy society. You know what I mean? Like it's this weird cycle that we're just we just <laughs> caught in and we can't ever get out of. And you know, because we're so afraid of fucking everything and everyone outside of our own little bubble as, as a country. It's yeah. uh yeah. I, I like the um I like the the section where martial law is getting manipulated by the what is it, the police chief or or whoever he is. Yeah. And it's like, you know, every you know, it, everyone has their price and 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 martial law like does kind of uh you know back off and and doesn't you know go through with you know with his gut instincts because he's like well you know if i'm part of the system for this it's going to help a lot of people and then i'll just you know and then i'll come back and i'll get him after that and i thought that was right. like an interesting you know part where it's like yeah even martial law has his price mm. or you know like i don't know to me like so much of it is like part of the humor to me is that he's not different than the other one, the other capes that he's chasing. He just happens to be assigned a different thing, but he's, he also creates chaos. He's also like, right. Like oh. that's part of the pointlessness of like, he's getting manipulated by somebody else who is like, essentially like, can we keep this guy busy? doing something you know like yeah and like we can direct him to do whatever things he's doing right so like in a way like i don't know i found 
you know, the fact that it's obviously like inspired by stuff like Watchmen and, you know, Dark Knight. But in that sense, it was very different. It's like a much funnier viewpoint of like, actually superhero, like it's kind of pointless and they're kind of dumb and they're kind of like, you know, easy to manipulate and like all this stuff that I thought was like, um, uh, actually like a much more cynical viewpoint of what superheroes are than sort of like even something like Watchmen, you know, where it was sort of like, uh, there's so many of them there. We call them surplus and they're, you know, like just getting, you know, killed left and right by this other guy who's not that much better than them, but we've like made him convinced that he has some purpose, you know, to like handle this stuff, you know? So I, you know, I've, I've, I've read a couple issues before. I had not read like all six of these together in one shot. And I was sort of like, ah, I was like, this is very different. I liked it a lot. I enjoyed it quite a bit. It, it does take a little bit for your brain to sort of like adjust to like, oh, like, I don't quite know what this story is because the art is so like not, it doesn't fall into like sort of classic, like this is a superhero story. Even the, yeah. uh, something yeah, like exactly. The Boys, you know, has a style that's like, ah, yes, those are what superheroes look like, mm-hmm. right? Like everything looks kind of like goofy in a not in a bad way, but just sort of like yeah. that's what they're doing. They're making all these heroes look like buffoons or like weirdos yeah. and like weird. Yeah, yeah monstrous and and monstrous like none of them are normal even the ones that are supposed to be normal aren't normal looking they're weird they're like you know celeste to the sirens who are supposed to be these modified like sexual manipulators like she looks weird you know like she's got a waist like you know two inches around and giant tits and a little small head head. her head smaller yeah her head smaller than her her bust (laughs) is one of the is is lint you know like so even in that sense even those ones are are weird looking and sort of like i don't know you look at them long enough you're kind of like what what's happening right yeah it's you know you you had talked about how uh what dkr and and watchmen so serious that this this has those elements, but actually introduces some humor and satire uh, in ways that you know we probably hadn't seen up up to that point. And I see that as you know, this has got to be you know influential to the boys. I was you know the whole murder mystery aspect. I see a lot of powers mm-hmm. in, in the roots of powers in in this book. Um, you know, there's a lot of what I end up you know reading and and being some of my favorite comics it's like i don't know if those comics are around with without martial law so yeah it was exciting to read this and go oh that's where they got that from Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah there's so many i mean that's the other thing too is like in six issues there's so many fucking ideas like there's so many just like crazy (laughs) wild and that may only last for a page or two and then it goes Mm -hmm. on to something else but it's like you know so many things that you could run with and go in yeah. other directions and tell completely mm-hmm. other stories on just, you know, one idea, like, like you said, like the, you know, nearly man, the guy who, you know, is, is <laughs> sorry, the, the nearly first, man. 
yeah he's just like he just has a tail and and like yeah. just that alone like you could do a whole story a, on just that guy there's but a big I wonder, fucking hard sci-fi concept in here it's like you know when did interstellar come out it was like 2016 2015 oh, but that whole concept of yes he was gone for two years for him but because of Einstein's, you know, Relative. theory and the and and faster than light travel. It was twenty five years of the gap, and it was just like, is I when I saw Interstellar, that like blew my mind. And you know, you you read the whole David Green, you know, books and whatnot. But for them to do to do that concept in a nineteen eighty seven comic was just banana pants. <laughs> yeah, there's just I mean, there's so many wild crazy things and, and like i said it, it it straddles the line between so many different things you know superhero comic like a punisher crime kind of thing uh you know revenge there's a murder mystery we're trying to follow there's a whole serial killer you know what i mean like it's a serial killer uh storyline that we're following there's there's corruption there's the whole you know social commentary on war there's you know the whole space race thing that he brings into it i mean there's so much packed into these six issues but yeah. Um, it's really fascinating, but I wanted to go back, Tom, real quick to something you mentioned about like, you know, martial law is no different than the rest of these superheroes. It's just, he's been given a different purpose. And when you said that, it really struck me as interesting because, you know, I think that's a, like some themes or that's a theme in this book is like, you know, the people that are really pulling the strings, they're just, how do we give these guys purpose? We have these like super incredibly powerful <laughs> weapons that now we have to deal with. And it's like, well, they had a purpose when they were at war. We gave young men purpose and that's how we got to, to them to go to war. Now they're home. Well, what do we do with them? We got to give them a purpose. So it's like, okay, we're going to turn them into superheroes or we're going to turn. Now we're going to take some and we're going to turn them into cops that chase down the, the rogue superheroes that don't have any purpose. Or we're going to, you know, like there's a religious aspect mm -hmm. into some of this. There's oh God, all these yeah. different, you know what I mean? All these different things. It's like, there's definitely an undertone of like purpose equals control. You know, like if we can yeah. give someone a purpose, that means we can control them. And I really didn't see that until you mentioned that. That's a that's a fascinating, you know, sort of undercurrent of this book that I hadn't. And that's what this fucking book. There's so much in this book. It's just even reading it now. Like I said, I picked this up in, in single issues mm -hmm. when it came out when I was 16 years old and read it then. And I read it again now, you know, in preparation for this. And it's like. I picked up stuff again at 50 that I didn't pick up when I was 16 when I, and I didn't pick up when I was 25, when I read it a second time. And then maybe when I was 35 or something, when I read it a fourth time, you know? Um, and it's really like one of those books. I knew I loved it when I read it the first time, but I'm kind of like loving it more and more as I get older yeah. and just like seeing how great it really is. And also sort of fascinated with like, I know people love it, but it's not talked about in the same way of like Watchmen or Dark Knight or those books. And I kind of think yeah. it should be. Yeah. Yeah. It's um, it wasn't released by DC. You know, it wasn't a it wasn't. So what it's it's distribution was probably way lower than either one of those books. But, um, you know, I, I bet if you. I bet if you talk to Garth Ennis, if you talk to Brian Bendis, if you talk to, um, you know, any of those the, the creators whose 
I don't want to call it derivative, but certainly influenced by this. You know, I bet they would wax poetic about it forever. I think part yeah. of it's probably yeah. because it doesn't fit quite neatly into, you know, like stylistically something like Watchmen, you know, for being groundbreaking looks like a Dave superhero Gibbons. looks like a superhero yeah, Dave, book Dave or it Gibbons, leads right. in that world. Right. Like you can mm-hmm. look at it and be like, Oh, okay. Like I recognize that, you know, like dark Knight lives in that. Like, I mean, obviously Frank Miller's art is fantastic, but it's born of that world. And it almost feels like um, Kevin O'Neill's isn't quite born of that same world. Like it's yeah. like a different, like a way of, of, you know, like, I just, I keep going back to like all of their costumes are dumb. Are just <laughs> like, <laughs> they're goofy. Yeah. They're like, yeah. they're, they're born. They're of also color. like dirty. They're like dirty. Like they're, yeah. They look more like what if somebody ran around in a superhero costume would look like. Yeah. Like it would be bunched up and it wouldn't fit right. And you wouldn't know, like nobody's yeah. in that kind of shape all the time. And like you would look ridiculous. You would look absolutely fucking ridiculous yeah. running around in a costume yeah. like that. Yeah. It's almost yeah, they don't like look, it doesn't, they don't look imposing. It doesn't want to like speak uh, like superhero language the same mm-hmm. way that even a watchman. You know, like when they're in costumes, you know, yeah, they make some jo- jokes about, you know, all man being kind of fat or, you know, like uh, that stuff. But like, it's still within that language, right? And this feels like a little bit of like, a, actually, no, we're not going to like even pretend, like pretend like that costumes yeah. would look good or cool or yeah. like, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, it's just, it's so... It's funny because when you read maybe the book, you get you get lost a little bit and you forget that martial law's costume is dumb and it's weird. <laughs> like a full page spread where you're like, oh yeah, that's right. He's got like a leather mask on with like a zipper. Well, he's in a convenience <laughs> store, like getting food. You know, like it's like yeah. And it's funny because it's, it's like, yeah, fear and loathing on his chest, yeah. and yeah, like yeah, superhero yeah. costumes would be dumb, would be ridiculous and like weird yeah. looking, and like, yeah, it's like walking around what? dressed in like an S and M costume isn't a yeah. million miles away from you know like superhero leather X Men. And I wonder, I wonder if that's really because this is a book like. You know, we've talked about this in the past. Like, you could read Watchmen, and if you want to ignore all the the things that it's saying negatively about superheroes, mm-hmm. you can't. Like, people read it's that book and story. they love Rorschach, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. And you could read The Dark Knight Returns and walk away with that with a very positive view of Batman. Yeah, but you can't read this book and yeah, come away like... with anything other than superheroes are stupid like superheroes are yeah. dumb there's they're, no there's they're no a disease around it. they are a there's, disease and i am the cure there's no bacteria. like surface level 
like, oh, this is just a cool Batman story or like, oh, right. watch what that's a cool superhero story. I didn't even yeah. read the pirate stuff in the back. I just read this, you know, like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, there's not, that's not an avenue in this story, you know, like there's, there's no, no escaping it. There's, there's yeah, no escaping. Yeah. He like makes these huge panels of this guy in a leather mask. Like you can't ignore it. It's like he's making it look like it's a it is it's like fundamentally ridiculous yeah yeah they don't ever let you escape it although i will say 16 year old me probably thought martial law was pretty badass oh sure i I have i would you know i don't know i don't know that i walked away from martial law going oh that you know it's ridiculous like no at 16 in 1987 i was probably like that that yeah he's a badass he's you're looking for leather all leather outfits yeah. But, yeah, I don't think another, I understood it, but yeah. <laughs> like, uh, another another book I was uh, thinking of while we were uh, reading this, and you know, it's it's very different, but I think also influenced by this would be top ten, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's all like, the superhero, everyone has superpowers, yeah. kind of a thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I think so. Um, yeah. There's a you Police know story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I can't. I think you know. I think all those guys had, to some degree, been influenced by 2000 AD, right? Like Judge Dredd in 2000 AD, and and you know they all grew up. That was what they grew up reading, really. And 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 so, you know, as as you said, Chris, you know, Pat Mills is called the Godfather of British comics, and and I think you know just that sensibility that you know he doesn't hide it at all of his complete fucking disdain for a lot of you know western superhero comics and superhero characters like that's what this book is all about like his Mm -hmm. fucking hatred of that shit and and sort of pointing out how fucking ridiculous and silly it can be um which i'm sure a lot of fans it's hard for them to to sort of face that and you know and and you know sort of look at themselves to some degree but it's like you know anything can be anything can be looked at that way you know what i mean like anything mm-hmm. people love you can also find why it's stupid or why it's silly there's nothing i don't i don't know that there's anything that is sacred in that in that sense but um i just I think mean, that yeah i mean i think part of it's like there's like an essential britishness to it of like <laughs> i think when you there's like I think you treat things differently when it's imported to you and you kind of look at it and you think like this kind of stupid, like this thing that, right. You know, that like, when you look at anything, like, you know, I always think about like, have you guys ever read like those, um, those black and white, like captain Britain ones that used to, those stories Mm -hmm. be like in the, like whatever the weird Marvel collections that they would have, you know, in Britain, those, you know, those ostensibly are taking part in the Marvel universe, but like they have a totally different point of view of like what superheroes are. And like, they are kind of like a little bit of a joke about, I mean, superheroes Mm -hmm. are so American, right? They're so like, like, the, and that self-seriousness and that sort of like, 
you know, like even at its most basic, like the sort of like optimism of a Superman, you know, imagine having that imported to you and being like, what is this? Like this weird otherworldly, like optimism in sort of like Pollyanna-ish like viewpoint. Well, it's know? American, it's American, uh, you know, exceptionalism. Yeah. Right, yeah, like exactly. that's essentially yeah. what superheroes are. It's American exceptionalism, and so when that's you know, it's like I, I think it's a, it's also a difference in like the culturally nerdy stuff, and not just comics, but you see it all the time. And anything nerd culture is so protective of the culture of the things that they love, <laughs> of course. And yet, you know, what I mean, like they can't. You know, the British can kind of like laugh at something they love. Like they can take the piss out of something, but still love it. And mm -hmm. Americans, you know, it's like, I think because we grow up so, at least nerds, we grow up so sort of like afraid that someone's going to find out we like something uh, <laughs> that really they might not of approve of. We can't really make fun of it. We have to, we have to, it's a sacred cow to us and we can't yeah, defend it yeah. to the end. Oh. Yeah. Where I, I don't think, yeah, I think they don't have that same feeling about something where it's like, no, you know, you can kind of look at something honestly and yet still love it. Like you can say how stupid it is and and silly and point, you know, at, at all the flaws of it, but still love something. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. But I think we, you know, that's just an American thing too of like, no, we're the best. And if we're, because if you're not the best, your shit you know there's no Garbage. middle ground there's yeah yeah, yeah there's <laughs> there's there's nothing in between there but well i'm glad you guys liked it i like i said loved I, it I, didn't I, like it i this loved was, it yeah. yeah this was one of those like formative comics for me you know like this and american flag and watchmen and 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 that kind of stuff that just really changed the idea of what comics were for me. And so I was excited to see what you guys thought about it. Cause I thought I, I figured you would like it. I mean, it's, yeah. it's so smart and funny. We should and, read, and... we should read American flag next. Oh boy. Well, that's the problem is it's like 50. You you know, the first yeah. It's like line. the first, yeah. It's like, like the first story arc. It's, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Somewhere it's, I don't think I've ever read it all the way through. It's, oh. it's an awesome piece oh. of work. Um, it's, yeah. Yeah, I always bottom out around like the twentieth issue or something. Well, I don't know whose pick is next, but you know, whoever whoever's pick mm -hmm. it is, say Tom, pick American flag, American flag, <laughs> American the first story arc of American flags or whatever that is. The sure. first, I, I love, I love like, that story. Yeah. Oh, you don't have to sell me on it. I'll read. I you know, I've read it. I've read it all the way through you know probably three or four times in my lifetime yeah whatever the first 50 i don't think arc. the first how long is it i don't i feel like it's not like i, I want to say no i think it's like three issues or something i want to say the first story arc is but i can't remember exactly we'll uh, read around uh, the first six whatever whatever makes yeah, sense. That yeah sounds good. It's whatever yeah, well. yeah. I got sounds good right, american flag it is yeah. Oh, there it is. I, nice. I was going to pick something else, and then I just decided oh. to do that. I'll, I'll say yeah, if you don't, time. if you don't have this, it's the uh, I don't know if they called it the omnibus, but it's that hardcover collection. It is, it's awesome. Oh, and signed by Howard Shaken. I got my single issue somewhere you, behind me. You did. You didn't get a, a Rick Flag uh, sketch in your 
sign did no he was oh, he was oh you got a rick flag sketch in your i got a rick flag sketch nice well he's been a while you, you chatted him up you're like sir i love you you're the best it's been a while since no he you know flag. what <laughs> my meeting with with howard chenkin was the greatest like meet your hero kind of meeting because i did definitely go up there super nervous uh and you know you know because chenkin was one of those guys you kind of always heard stories about he was kind of mm -hmm. gruff and mm -hmm. not you know easy to get along with and so i went up there like uh you know very nervous and and handed him my book to sign and he just wanted to start talking about movies and tv shows yeah. and and i sat there and talked with him for yeah i don't know 45 minutes and and just had this amazing fucking conversation with him yeah and he was as awesome as anybody could be you know in that moment one of those great like, stories oh. where your hero is actually awesome yeah yeah yeah, yeah. but um yeah american flag is awesome i, I love it. it's been cool. it's about time that i reread the whole thing so Perfect, yeah perfect time i you know i was buying original art for uh a while until it just got you know i i ran out of space on the walls and it got really expensive one of the pages i will always regret not buying is that uh it was one of the art dealers at a c2e2 had the paid the diplomatic immunity page mm. and uh it, it was more than i wanted to spend but <laughs> way less than it probably is going for now <laughs> yeah right for sure yeah for and sure. will will piper still is just like oh you should have bought that should have bought it <laughs> yeah you know how many pages i could say that about if i had any right. money at the time but yeah yep. uh yeah for sure um cool, cool. well we well, were there uh, you go we had you bought a book that we had or you 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 uh picked a book that we had way too much to talk about because we were going to dive into um uh the dc movie and tv and all that video games and the whole james gunn universe uh we'll have to save that for next week yeah that sounds good well yeah we'll talk yeah. about it next week there's some interesting interesting news from james well we yeah. do have a couple of minutes so okay if there was say a martial law like mm -hmm. hbo max uh you know television series who would you cast let's just like Martial law. Who would you cast as martial law? Who mm. would you cast as as you know Celeste and uh, the the what's the main guy's name? Colonel. Oh, pub, public spirit. Public spirit. Oh. And then I don't know whoever else you'd want to want to cast. In the, any ideas on? It's like martial law. He's got to he's got to be a big. He's got to be pretty big. Um, yeah. And. I was thinking like uh uh um what's his name? He's a little old now, but Clive Owen would I think would have been good. Uh yeah. As, um maybe Tom Hardy could do it, I suppose. I, I was gonna say I was like, am I gonna throw out the the standard Tom Hardy uh suggestion? I think he's like, I just don't he seems so monotone though. Like American flag has a I, I, yeah, I don't know. Uh, in a weird way like chris pratt <laughs> chris pratt no i don't see that <laughs> he's too he's too he's too white bread but that's that's the character he's kind of like a white bread american boy who went and yeah. got completely scarred by war um actually i could almost see ben affleck 
if you just mm. made just make them play it straight yeah you know what i mean like don't yeah. don't yeah. just play it straight and you could because he could he could just be that kind of dumb mm-hmm. like you know how about guy. ryan gosling how about ryan gosling oh give gosling? me one second guys i gotta run my kids are well oh, my kids t- busted in okay I'll see you guys. <laughs> we gotta break it. All right, Tom. We'll talk to you later. Have a, break. Have a good Jail one. Break. <laughs> Hilarious. That's funny. Um, yeah, the, yeah. There's yeah. There's lots of what's people. You know, Amy Adams is Celeste. I don't know. It's uh... Amy Adams. Margot Robbie. Mar- the Margot Robbie. Oh, Margot Robbie, because Margot Robbie is good in anything, right? Yeah. You Did said you was she in she Babylon? <laughs> yeah, well, whew, she's all over Babylon. Yeah, she's on fire in Babylon. Yeah, yeah, good. Babylon. It's man, it's just got raked, raked over the coals. Listen, for, bad, here's the bad thing. marketing. No, I don't know about bad marketing, but I think one people, you know, people have expectations of a movie when you have big stars in it, and mm-hmm. it's going to be like you know here. Like people are complaining. The the biggest complaint I heard about Babylon was like, there's too much going on. And it's like, it's a fucking movie called Babylon. Yeah. Like it's literally about like, you know, the chaos of, you know, decadence. Like that's what Babylon suggests, right? Like the city of Babylon and the fall of Babylon. And, and this is about the decadence of the 1920s Hollywood. And so, yeah, there's a ton of shit going on. It's, I think people have trouble paying attention. It's, yeah, for sure. Yeah, if it's right? not six second clips on fucking TikTok, people. If, are if enjoy it's it. not something that I'm not going to mention any names, like my wife, um, who has trouble like just sitting in front of the TV watching a movie without a tablet or a phone or a laptop, right? Yeah, yeah. you can't it's do like, two things at once. Go no. go go to the theater and see a movie, yeah. but. I no, I really enjoyed it. I can see it's not for everybody. It's not, you know, it's not the kind of movie for everybody, but I, and I don't I don't know. I mean, it's not a perfect movie. It's a flaw, you know, it has flaws. It's not um, you know, like I don't think it's the best movie of the year. For me as someone who one loves movies, two loves the history of Hollywood, um and three loves when a director like takes a big swing at shit swings tries, for it. yeah yeah that's all your wheelhouse yeah and so for me it's like i would rather have that it's way more interesting of a movie than you know 10 fucking top guns you know what i mean like some fucking yeah. mindless pap that just like is redoing another fucking movie and just like you know pulls at your heartstring nostalgia cords okay great if that's what if that's all you can handle as a fucking movie then don't go see babylon you're not going to enjoy it but if you actually like you know want to be entertained visually in in a different way like actually want to you know see someone do something on screen that maybe you haven't seen before or you know have a character do things that you wouldn't expect them to do or you know what i mean like yeah it's but it's beautiful there's it's super long i mean it's like three it's over three hours but it really didn't for me it did not feel like three hours um because it just moves along really quickly and it's it is chaotic and insane but so was like 
1920s filmmaking was chaotic sure. and insane. And, you know, yeah. like, um, but yeah, I, I really, really enjoyed it. I well, really, it's, I, it's, I it's, it's on the, it's on the list. Um, you know, talking about, you know, it's, it's weird. Um, in that you can love something and whenever like public opinion turns away from it, it's actually sometimes nice because you feel like, like you see the brilliance in it and you kind of want to own that a little bit. And sure. like this past week, the last of us, uh, uh, the episode three is so good and so brilliant. And I was almost, almost sad that I got on my, my news feed the next morning. And there's like 12 stories about how brilliant this, this episode <laughs> is. And it's like, no, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. I like, I enjoyed the episode. I thought it was very well done. Yeah. I thought it's probably the, like the best representation of a, like a, a true gay relationship. Yeah, like a sense of like monogamous, yeah, just like a regular, honest, honest relationship. Yeah, but like, and I love the actor. Uh, obviously, uh, uh, what's his name is terrific and everything. Um, Ron Swanson, I can't think of it. Right, yeah, he's amazing. But the other actor, <laughs> who's, the guy, the guy who who's played pop- Frank, yeah. Yeah, the, the, he's shown up in like the last three series that I've watched. He's been in um which is just funny my wife and, and i were just nick, laughing nick offerman, about like by the way nick offerman but not nick yeah. offerman the other guy the other yeah. actor who i should yeah. know his name but i don't know the guy his who name. plays frank but like we fantastic. watched we watched um uh welcome to chippendales where he plays mm-hmm. the choreographer who started helped start the chippendales dance oh. clubs okay he plays that guy and he's fucking amazing he's probably my favorite character and he has once again like a truly sincere gay he was bisexual but he has a truly sincere like heartbreaking gay relationship in that show and then he was in white lotus the first season of white lotus i haven't watched the second season and then he's in this and i'm like jesus christ was he the hotel manager yeah he was the hotel manager okay and he's awesome but he's a terrific actor and it was really good but i was thinking about like You know, people every like you said, everybody's talking about that episode. It's all anyone's been talking yeah. about since it came out. It, it, it just everyone's just you know saying how great it was, amazing. It's you know people are calling it the best episode of television ever. It's like okay, that, no, it's I think I relax. think it's I, I think it's Emmy worthy. You know, but, for consideration. You know, it's slow your roll, right? Yeah, you're talking to Mr. But, Hyperbole Hill here, and I'm just like slow your roll, folks. <laughs> I was just sort of thinking about it, like would would anyone care about it if it was a man and a woman? Oh, I think it would have been I think it would have been emotionally, you know, arresting and would have been a great story. It's just that there's not I think it would it's it have not been? it's I think it's yeah, I think so. If it's the same story with a man and woman, um I think it is I think the story was strong. I don't think any I don't think anyone's talking about it as like no, I'm and I don't care about I don't care about that, but you're asking about quality. I think that you can tell that same story or a very similar story with with a uh with a male and female relationship uh and have it still be a quality story. I think that there's just 
I think it snuck up on people in a zombie show based on a video game that you have an incredibly poignant, monogamous, gay relationship with two um, uh, later middle age and then, you know, approaching elderly characters. I think it was the surprise factor that kind of added to that. You don't expect that kind of TV show to have that kind of story. And I think that's why people are just like, whoa. Right. Yeah. But, that, but, 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 but I'm wondering, like, and this was just me sort of questioning my, my own like thoughts on it. It was like, mm-hmm. is it really, really good and, and an amazing episode of television, or is it just because it was sort of surprising and unexpected and we haven't seen it before? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think know, yes and, to all of that. I think it was really good. Um, I think that that's why the internet is, is freaking out is because we haven't quite seen it. Right now, Mm -hmm. if it was the walking dead, Mm -hmm. you know, what would have, you know what, how it would have been different is that Frank would have used his, uh, sexual manipulation and murdered bill <laughs> bill yeah. after yeah that would have yeah. been the walking dead dead yeah. scene that was like yeah. he would have because because even as i was watching it i was like i don't know if i trust this guy you know right? he, he, oh he, he absolutely he used here? he used that he manipulated bill because he's trying to survive to stay, to, and to i survive. think that they yeah and it because he's even like okay if we do this i get to stay for a couple days right you right know? right right um so yeah but, that, but, was, that was all there but the Walking Dead, he would have killed him. He would. Oh yeah, Bill, Bill would have been dead. Take... <laughs> yeah, Bill, Bill, Bill would have been dead. <laughs> that would have definitely been the difference between the Last yeah. of Us and the yeah. Walking it's, Dead. No, and, I, and the thing, no, it, 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 know, was a, it was a terrific. This. That happened in the in the the video game. Bill and Frank are real characters from from the video game. Well, they are, but there was no. I mean, there was no. This is like backstory, right? So this is where the TV. Well, show there gets was no implicit. It was suggested mm-hmm. that they were yeah. that they were did you play Last of together. Us? Have you played Last yeah. of Us? Oh, yeah. It's yeah. awesome. Yep. It's a great it's game. my daughter. It's my daughter's favorite video game. It's um, yeah, it's no, they, yeah, they, they were characters in it, but they weren't. I mean, mm-hmm. it wasn't ever expanded on yeah. um, that they had a relationship. And Bill was a much different character in in the game that he was. In the I show. love Nick I, I could care less. Yeah. Nick Offerman is oh, an amazing true. survivalist. It's him well, he, coming out of the door do most with the shotgun. <laughs> he fucking, uh, you know, he builds canoes and shit like uh, in his as a hobby. So he could probably do most of that shit in real oh, life. That's why he's Nick perfect Offerman. for this. And it's yeah. like whenever they're in like the the arsenal bunker, you're like Nick Offerman knows what each one of those fucking guns are. <laughs> the only thing I was like linda ronstadt really it's the linda ronstadt song everybody like that that's what they're fucking connecting on i don't know about that okay okay (laughs) linda ronstadt you know Uh, yeah but no it's good i i love that show i'm really uh, pascal is doing and anna torv who i haven't really seen since fringe i didn't even recognize her as tess until i was was uh, like oh shit that's anna torv yeah, I love Anna Torv, and I was upset because I'm like, oh, she's not gonna, she's not gonna be around long. And yeah. I, you know what I mean? Like when I first saw her, I'm like, ah, oh, because I really like her. Like I yeah. really, really like her. And I'm like, oh, she's not gonna be around fucking long. That sucks. 
because I would have loved to have her in, you know, in yeah. this show. Yeah. Um, so I love that they do some flashback stuff. Um, they even do like yeah. the weird de-aging flashback stuff. Did where, they? I don't remember. Well, yeah, because it's like they... it's oh well uh, Pascal and and um and Anna Torv and Nick Offerman. I mean, they aged them a lot. Um yeah, yeah, Pedro Pascal looked like Game of Thrones, what the Crimson Tiger, whatever the hell he was, the red scorpion, you know, and it was like Anator. Oh, like ten years ago. Was it? Yeah, I guess oh yeah. So. It's yeah. been it's it's look at the watch, friend. It's been a while. Ten years <laughs> ten years goes by fast. Right? It does. And my yeah. dad says uh life is like a roll of toilet paper. Goes really fast I, at the end. Yeah, that, yeah, I bet. I'm not there yet, hopefully. Um no, it was good. Yeah, it's a great show. Yeah. It's a great and uh, like I said, I'm not I'm certainly not trying to like uh shit on it because it was a you know a, i think it was it was to me th the most honest representation of a gay relationship i've ever seen yeah. on yeah. screen like it yeah. didn't have you know they were they were just it was believable yeah. you know what i mean like it, they were two men that fell in love with each other and we've and, had good days and bad days more good days than bad yeah but there's exactly. been times where i've wanted to fucking yeah. strangle you <laughs> right right yeah. and and that's marriage um, I, that's that's what I appreciated of it. It was just like, it wasn't, you know, sort of this, um, you know, there's this overcompensation in storytelling with anything that has to do once again, going to back to like sacred cows and protecting the things we love. And so it's like, Oh, well, I'm going to tell the story of my relationship that, you know, whether it's a gay relationship or lesbian relationship, or if it's mm -hmm. a racial, you know, thing or whatever it is. And it's like, this overcompensation yeah. for it because of like, well, this is my only chance. So I'm going to sort of overcompensate and, 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 mm -hmm. and hopefully, well, and then that's the whole thing of that. Well, that's the letting agenda get ahead of storytelling. And right. you know, I was, I was emotionally, you know, rocked by this episode, not because it was pushing this, you know, the, this, you know, ideology or agenda, but because it was this amazing heartfelt story about these two people who loved each other and you became, uh, you know, attached and, and, and right. invested. You in saw them. their life together. Yeah. It's, yeah. it's what, like any other relationship. Good storytelling. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, yeah. I, I agree. On the other hand, it's like, I watched, uh wakanda forever mm -hmm. and i apologize i know it's black history month but that movie is kind of a pile of shit really uh, i was gonna watch it I, this weekend the best part of it to me was the the at well they're not atlanteans anymore but what would have mm -hmm. what would be the atlanteans namor yeah. and and yeah i thought they were actually the best part of it but yeah i didn't i i didn't think i mean it's there's there's a couple of moments that are you know tribute to uh, Chadwick Boseman. Boseman and those are you know emotional uh but the rest of the movie is just like kind of boring the fight scenes were not great and then there's this like you know uh just there's there's good parts to it um the music in it is awesome uh and it looks you know amazing but it's just like as a movie like as a story it's kind of yeah. not really great I didn't I didn't really yeah. think it was well it's, it's very one well of the up. things I'm excited I don't want to talk too much about it because we're going to talk about it next week uh, but reading you know interviews from James Gunn 
um, about what they're planning with DC, knowing that Tom King is in the writer's room and that they basically have a, a, a 10 movie and TV series outline pretty much, you know, scripted out at this point gives me a lot of, uh, a lot of hope that, that we're going to see some really well told DC stories. Yeah. That worries me a little bit though. And we could talk about this next week a little more, but it worries me in the sense of like, Oh, well we have to have the next decade figured out of what we're going to do. Okay. Yeah. You, now you are can, you sort of, yeah. Forcing... You can handcuff yourself. You can hand, handcuff yeah. yourself. Yeah. Right? It's like, well, yeah. what if it's not good? <laughs> you know, like, what if <laughs> you've got 10 years of shit then? Like, yeah, you know then what you I mean? You end up like, with Zack Snyder for a decade. Yeah, exactly. And that's just like, well, let's yeah. hope that it's good yeah. if you're going to we'll plan see. it out that you know? far ahead. And James we'll, Gunn we'll is not flawless. He's made movies that I don't think are great. Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. No, He's made what, some no favorite. Yeah. No director's flawless. No director is no. flawless. Nate, you know, there isn't one, but um, yeah, we'll talk about that next week for sure. Yeah. All right. Uh, everyone, thank you for, uh, for listening to our, uh, our really fun discussion on martial law. Sal, thanks for suggesting that. Uh, check out American flag. We're going to read eh, about the first six issues. It was, uh, they, they didn't write for the trade back in, back in, uh, back in them days. So uh, we're we'll going to read, read, read 50 issues. issues. We got to read oh, the first 50, the whole, 50, the whole omnibus. Uh, so yeah, we'll be talking about American flag uh, soon. Uh, check out the uh, Patreon at patreon.com slash round comics. Uh, shoot us an email. Uh, join the comment section during our, our live streams, all that good stuff. Um, we will be back again next Thursday. In the meantime, in between time, we'll be everywhere in hand around comics. I am the law. Fear and loathing.